and we were in the most rural of Peru. You had to hike there, no cars or anything. Um, and we met with this woman named Maria who she lived in a little, no electricity, um, very small little house, if that's what you even call it. But she was as happy as ever because she found happiness in her farm and her community. And that they told us like, that's how they define rich there is mm. if you have connections and if you need help, how many of your neighbors are gonna come to help you because like you help them, which I just found to be really cool and interesting because they don't value maybe as much of the tangible things as like sometimes we think we do. Today we're joined with Abby Sanders. Abby's currently halfway through her freshman year at University of Maryland. I met Abby as a seventh grader just six short years ago in my language arts class. Abby's currently on break between her first and second semester classes, so I am, like all my guests, beyond grateful for her willingness to take some time out on her break and sit down to talk with us. Hi, Abby. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Do you remember seventh grade language arts? Yes. does not feel that long ago. It doesn't, does it? <laughs> it doesn't for me at all. All right, so I'm gonna, I, I have this special time machine and I, I like jumping into that thing to jump all the way back to seventh grade language arts since that's where uh, we met. Um, a little bit of background on me because it, it's relevant to the question, but uh, I had the opportunity when I was a junior in college to spend a semester in Luxembourg. Uh, and part of that programming, they brought in Holocaust survivors and, and we had a, a you know, conversation. It was pretty intimate, small group. We were able to ask them questions. Um, it was profound. It truly changed, you know, who I was as a human being. Um, and then we also had an opportunity to travel and and walk through Dachau, which uh, equally, um, in the same way, uh, kind of changed who I was. And so, as a language arts teacher, I've always made room for a Holocaust unit. So I'm curious, thinking back to your seventh grade self, as somebody who grew up in a synagogue and grew up learning about this, what it was like to read those books while surrounded by your peers who, although they cared and they were interested, they maybe couldn't relate to it in the same way that you could. There's so much to it that not a single book can capture. And so when it's only reading that, it almost was hard to discuss with like my classmates because I had a much deeper background and I felt a lot more connected to the topic than I think other kids did. For me, it, it is a part of my family's history and like my religion it's so talked about but for other kids it's just a part of history that they don't really have a, as much of a connection to as I do so it was definitely hard but it was also really nice being able to finally see some classmates being able to like understand and feel the different emotions that come with learning about the holocaust yeah it's you know earlier in my you know I've been doing this for 17 years and we would often try to bring in a, a holocaust survivor to actually talk to the students because it's a you know, to your point, reading about it in a book, especially if it's historical fiction, it feels very differently than having a, a human being in front of you talking about their, their firsthand experience. But it's really hard now to find Holocaust survivors, right? Yeah, I've only been able to hear from a few. I recently went on a program called March of the Living, where I went to a week in Poland and a week in Israel. And the months leading up to that trip, with my group that I was with in Cincinnati, we had a Holocaust survivor come and talk to us like every other week. And that was really the first time I've ever talked to Holocaust survivors. And it's just getting, they're very few and far between, which is really sad, but it's very important that they get their information and their stories told now and that we listen and appreciate them because there's soon there's not gonna be any left. Yeah, it's 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 this, you know, the reality of, of a real human and their story and the fear of, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to communicate that in the same, uh, the same way without actually having that person in front of you. And so yeah, there's a lot of efforts trying to record those stories and things so you can still hear them. But um, I'm glad you've had a chance to sit down and talk to some. Um, what about like the actual approach or the fiction or the books? Um, do you feel like, you know, I know that all I can do is offer this cursory sort of exposure to it. Uh, to your point, there's no way to truly dig into the depths of it. Um, do you feel like it, it did a decent job? Like, was it a worthy endeavor? Do you feel like, you know, being in your peer groups and hearing conversations that people did walk away with a new sort of renewed perspective on or, or a brand new, I guess, perspective on the Holocaust? Yeah, for sure. It definitely gave a good introduction and it's, it's not good for middle schoolers maybe to dive right into it. At the beginning, there's so much just sad and terrible things that happened, which are need to be discussed, but maybe not right at the beginning, which I think the book does a really good job at introducing the whole idea of it. 
Um, and then later, as you go older and get to more history classes, they take deeper dives, which sort of put it all together, which I think is good. Yeah, and even, um, you know, stacking the the books that you're reading, the historical fiction, as you get into high school and you read more complex and, and books that are, you know, maybe even more uh, honest and revealing to what the atrocities actually were, where in middle school they might um, they might try to censor that a little bit uh, since it is their first exposure for sure. All right, cool. So let's move on to our next question. Um, I and, and you brought it up briefly, but I, I think it's really fascinating and interesting. So, so you have been to Israel two times. Um, you went in your junior and your senior year, um, and maybe a, a summer camp, but that that wasn't in Israel in second grade. So I've been four times at this okay, point. Okay. Yeah. So that so second grade was. Um, Jewish summer camp started second grade, but it would have been 2021, 20, that year of camp, you go to Israel for a month. So it. it's part of camp. So so the camp happens stateside, and then eventually at yeah, what age? Um, I would have been 15. Okay, and then you actually go to Israel. Yeah. Cool. So I'm just curious and fascinated about uh, all of that. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about you know the actual trips themselves and um, what that was like. I'm sure there has to be some nervousness about going I, I, I'm talking to my son right now about Al Camp, which is literally up the road, and he's <laughs> kind of nervous about it. And so I'm thinking about, you know, at the age of 15, um, you know, leaving and going to a different country. That had to be kind of, uh, kind of scary. Yeah. So my first trip to Israel, I believe, was in 2017. I went on a family trip with um, some other, my, like, cantor from my synagogue and then some family she knew. We were only there for about, I think, a week and a half. And I just immediately fell in love with the country. It's the most beautiful place, the best food, people. It's just such a fun environment. And it's so, I loved how different it was from here. Um, my parents have always raised me and my sister with travel. We've done a lot of traveling. And I've always been interested in going places that are just so far different from the U.S. Can you articulate a little, any, like, or maybe some of your favorite parts? Or, like, what is it, like, what, like, why I've, is it different? Or I'd how say is my, it? my favorite thing is, like, the outdoor markets. They're called shooks. Mm. And it's just these big markets where there's just people yelling at you trying to buy their stuff. And giant things of spices and foods and arts and crafts. And they just go on forever. And it's super busy. Um... And it may really not even be that different than the U.S., but for me, it feels like I'm in a whole other world. I love just hearing the language, Hebrew, there's Arabic, um, the Israelis, Christians, Palestinians, um, everyone's living there. And it's so unique how, while there is definitely fighting, there's um, a lot of oneness and people being able to like live among each other, which is really cool. So after that trip, I came home, I did high school, um, I went to Israel with my friends with camp for, we were there for a month. We were able to travel all the way north, all the way south. It only takes like five hours to get from the very north of the country to the very south. Is that via train or how do they, bus. okay, on a bus? <laughs> they did just build a little like electric rail thing, but okay. I've never seen it. Um, and we were able to travel, explore Jerusalem and Tel Aviv a lot, which is like the, um, more of a resort city in the south on the Red Sea. We did hiking from the Canaret, which is the um, Sea of Galilee, all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. It was a four-day hike, just living in Israeli wilderness, which was really cool. Even just see, you know, hearing and seeing and you know, traveling to these historic places mm -hmm. like that's that's yeah, gotta be being pretty in amazing. Jerusalem, where thousands and thousands of years of history for yeah. all different religions is just it's so fascinating to me. Um, did and you go with friends? Yeah, people I was you with knew? my camp friends, but okay. I also met a lot of different people on that trip. Um, and after that trip, I came back being like, I need to go back. And probably a month after that trip, I signed up to go on a semester abroad, um, not through a program through school like Granville at all, totally separate. I knew nobody. Um, and then it was January 22nd of, it would have been 2022. I got on a flight to JFK. I was super nervous. And this is your junior year yep, of high school? Yep, junior year of high school. Um, and I met everybody at JFK and we flew to Israel um, and just immediately made like the best of friends from all over North America. I was going to say these are people from all over the country. Yep, all the country in Canada yeah. um, who I still am in touch with today and see them when I can. But during those four months, I got to take my normal classes, but I also took Hebrew and Jewish history every day. 
um, as well as travel all over the country again. And this time I felt like I was actually living there mm. and like I was a part of the community. Because of the longer stay yeah, period? Yeah, because of the longer yeah. stay and I had more independence. Are you with a host family or are you no. in a we dormitory? Were, or So we lived on a place called a kibbutz. It's like a big neighborhood, but they have everything you need there. There's a grocery store and a dining hall. And we lived in the hotel that was on there. Um, it was right outside of Jerusalem in the most beautiful place. And we did classes, but then we also just got to explore and be with our friends and go out and just have good food, um, travel all over. We met all different types of people. They really made it important for us to meet all people from different cultures and backgrounds. So like one that sticks out to me was um, the village I was staying in. There was a village right below us on the bottom of the hill. It was an Arab village. And we went and the woman cooked us the most amazing food and she told us all about like her life and her culture and her religion, which is just really cool that she she wants to share with other people about her religion and she respects us. And the two communities live very closely to each other, but have so much respect for each other. Um, And then we were able to like go see the churches in Jerusalem, but also the synagogues and the mosques and just all the different people and just things that Israel has to offer, we were able to like really experience, which I loved. I mean, it sounds like an absolute adventure. I I can't imagine. I'm picturing what most juniors in high school are probably doing and how controlled in a lot of ways their life is. And and it sounded like, you know, you had tons of autonomy, like tons of freedom to explore. And Mm -hmm, for sure, it was the best. I had made a friend when I was in my, during my camp in Israel her name's Noga with her family. She lived in Israel, so I was able to go stay with her for a weekend and just see her neighborhood and mm-hmm. how her family works, which is cool because they're the same as my family. They have they have some kids. They have a pool. They go to school every day, and they hang out with their friends on the weekend, or they go to the beach, and they just live very normal lives. And I think sometimes that's not like thought about when people think of Israel or the people there. Like, they're just the same as us. They just yeah. live a different place. It's such a recurring theme that comes up in these podcasts when I talk to people about travel. Um, this came up when I was, you know, talking to Nora and when I was talking to Bjorn and um, that it's so good to go out and see the world because you realize that everybody's the same. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're really, it, they're, they're people who have families and they want to have fun and they, you know, work hard and, you know, they're, they're, we, we like to they and other people. We like to like, oh, yeah. it's the other people out there that we don't know anything about. Um, but really, the world is pretty small, and we all yeah, kind of want sure. the same things. This is a bit of a sidetrack, but it reminds me, I went to Peru this past summer with my parents, and we did a hiking trip, and we were in the most rural of Peru. You had to hike there, no cars or anything. Um, and we met with this woman named Maria, who she lived in a little, no electricity, um, very small little house if that's what you even call it but she was as happy as ever because she found happiness in her farm and her community and that they told us like that's how they define rich there is Mm. if you have connections and if you need help how many of your neighbors are going to come to help you because like you help them which I just found to be really cool and interesting because they don't value maybe as much of the tangible things as like sometimes we think we do. That's profound. Um, There's a great quote about, you know, happiness is really knowing that you have enough like Mm -hmm. that, that, and so I, I hear that in that woman's story that, you know, she, she was rich because she had friends and yeah. resources and um, the, the willingness to just look around and be like, oh, yeah, I have all my needs met. I, I should be pretty happy. Yeah, exactly. Where I think the American dream sometime or the push is that you need more and more yeah. stuff and bigger this. And um, so, yeah, that sounds pretty fantastic. I also love that I feel like when you think of everything that's in the media and the news, there's so much conflict mm-hmm. regionally going on over there. And so, you know, your experience and talking about it is is just everyone getting along yeah. and that it's, you know, so much happiness and, yeah. and servitude and helping each other. And I know it's not always like that. They're obviously sure. not going to take me to a place that's dangerous right. or um, have any threat. But it's very heartbreaking to me to see sometimes all the just terrible things that happen there and the betrayal that maybe Israel gets in the media um i know it has its problems like every place does but it's really just such a great place and i would i sort of my trips after my semester abroad i did a credit opportunity for high school to get a few extra credits from it made a big presentation and my goal with that was really just to show israel and like the real israel and the people and just the good about it to people here who have never have been and most likely won't be going there. I mean, I draw this correlation to uh, seventh grade language arts again of of having this very small understanding of a very large thing 
um, the same. You, you, you listen to the media and you think if you've never been there, you haven't regionally like, oh, it's just a, an area of conflict and that, you know, mm-hmm. but nope, the reality is there's conflict everywhere and that there's a lot of beautiful things yeah, happening there as sure. well. Um, it just made reminded me that from our earlier statement, because you said you did some credit, was it hard getting like leaving for junior a part of your junior year and was, credit why I just they, there's always so much red tape and mm-hmm. things become more complicated than they need to be sometimes and so was that difficult as far as our high school and getting credits and or was it pretty seamless it was really easy actually I went to my guidance counselor it's like I have this opportunity I would like to go on she was like wow this looks amazing all I had to do was submit a syllabus. I went to each of my teachers, sort of explained what I was doing. I got a syllabus from each teacher and handed it over to the semester abroad program. And then at the end of the year, they sent over my like transcript to school, got uploaded to my um, high school transcript. I even earned extra credits from the Jewish history and Hebrew classes, plus this extra credit thing I did for just Granville. Um, and going, like leaving school was... I was pretty excited to leave school, and coming back was definitely an adjustment, but I didn't feel like I was behind from any of my peers. I felt like I had the same understanding, even more. I felt like I had gained way more. I can't imagine what you actually brought back that was profound yeah. that you, you never would find inside of a regular yeah, classroom. for sure. Yeah. But I never, like, with school, I, mean, I took the SAT out there. I took AP tests. Like, it was never an issue of was the learning experience different? Like, do they approach, you know, even classroom and, yeah. and pedagogically, like how they teach things or what that dynamic so looks like? So I wasn't like? in Israeli school. Okay. The school I was in was with everybody on my program. Um, and I only would have like two or three kids in my class because I was taking like just specific classes that not everyone takes. And so the cool thing about there, though, is all my teachers were from different countries. So my French teacher was actually from France, but she'd moved to Israel. My math teacher was from Turkey. Hmm. My AP U.S. history teacher was from Ukraine, and they were able to, oh, my English teacher was from South Africa. And so besides what they were teaching me, they were teaching me so much more from their backgrounds and their lives, which has just made learning so much more fun Mm. and enjoyable. And then even in my Hebrew and Jewish history class, Jewish history, we spent like three hours a day on it. And we started from the beginning of mankind to present and it was just so interesting to learn and you would learn about whatever happened and then you go visit the site that it happened and you can't do that here so to be able to do that was just amazing i i I remember that of my uh you know studying abroad was i I went and saw these places that i've been learning about my entire life in a book or on a picture and i was you know we would be sitting at a cafe and like you know there's the Colosseum, like literally right there is the, you know, these things that were, that was yeah. pretty amazing. So do you have travel plans for university? Like, is there a study abroad program? Is there something you can um, do to continue? I would love to study abroad. It might not be really realistic with my major. Just, I have so many credits I have to take and very specific classes. Um, if I want to study abroad, I'll probably have to do a little more than four years, which could mm-hmm. be fine, but I haven't really looked too far into it. Um, I'm also pretty limited on places I can go because of my major. Um, but let's see where I just went to Las Vegas with my family. That was interesting. First time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's Las an interesting... Vegas. Yeah. Um, but I'm hoping to go to Israel next summer. There's a program called Onward. It's an internship program. You're there for two months. Um, I'm always looking to get back to Israel, but obviously I want to travel the world too. Yeah. Well, I, I, you're sort of ahead of the curve. And so I, I, I will say it, for anybody that's going to college, typically, I, w- I would love if people can find creative ways to travel in high school. If there is an exchange program, anything like that, I would say absolutely go for mm-hmm. it. Um, you will get so much out of that and it will it will you know profoundly change you. And I, I can't even imagine like going to Maryland had to be super easy after you, you've literally you know traveled to yeah. other countries. And where some kids going to college for the first time is like this big deal and super scary and I don't know. Did that help you? It, sort d- of? it helped, I'd say, with the living with other people and mm. small, maybe not the nicest places. But I definitely struggled at the beginning. I was homesick and I really went into it thinking I was going to be totally fine. And I was almost like I was mad at myself for not being totally fine mm. um, just because I felt like oh, I've done all these things. I never felt homesick when I was gone for the four months in Israel. Um, but I definitely felt more homesick and just... But it, it was because it's just totally different. The four months was just four months, and I was having fun. But mm. this was more reality and school. 
I had to make new friends. Yeah. Like my, when I went to Israel, it was given 46 people. And it was here, here are the people you can be friends with. Like go make some friends. But now I'm at a school with 30 plus thousand kids. And it's like, okay, now go find your friends. It can be harder. And a lot of them bring friends with them sometimes. For sure. You know, they already I'm have the out of state kid. I'm yeah. the odd one out. So I had to definitely find the other out-of-state kids or just the Maryland kids who didn't come in with their high school friends. Super normal. Um, and that's important, I think, for everybody out there listening that, man, it is hard, like the yeah. transition freshman. And I, I love that you had that assumption because I did too as I was talking. I'm like, wow, you've traveled all over the place. Like that had to be super easy. Um, I was super homesick. Uh, I mean, it was, it's just such a very common thing. Uh, but it gets better. Would yes, you agree? For sure. Yeah. I definitely, there's times where I was like, mom, I just want to come home. It's yeah. like, nope, you're going to be fine. And I really was. I came once. It was hard at the very beginning when I didn't school hadn't started yet. And it was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where I am. Um, But once school started, I found a great routine. I found great friends um, being able to go into D.C. on the weekends and go to football games and even just like working out. I've been able to fill my time with all different things that I love and exploring a new place. And I'm very I'm really liking it. Yeah. And I mean, most of us, we spend our whole life in one place you know you grow up in Granville and you you've had these friends often like my kids are gonna have friends that they've had since they were literally infants and they've they've gone through the school together and so now you're thrust and so in in this whole new situation and just this reality it takes time yeah and then you get in a routine as you said and you start doing things and you run into people who have like-minded interests and then you start hanging out and you do build that friend circle but uh, it's very normal that it's gonna be a little hard and stick to it stick with it any tips on you know, when you are homesick, like how did, how did you overcome that? What did you do to sort of deal with that? Just doing things that I knew would bring me joy. Um, I like going to the gym or running, just being outside. So going on a walk or reading a book even, just finding little things. That I was like, okay, this will make me happy. And even if like I wanted, would rather be doing something at home, like this will be fun. Or just texting one of my friends, hey, let's go do this. Just to almost distract myself, but yeah. also to – Bring do things that'll make me happier. How'd your this is selfish here? Uh, how did you? As I'm thinking about my boys going off to college and them calling sad and wanting to come home and me okay, like I'll come get you. Like it's okay, but you can't. So like, what 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 was their approach? Like, how did they like, coach you through that? You'll be fine. Yeah. My dad was sort of like, suck it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you chose to go far. The tough love. Yeah, yeah, which I I thought it was really good. Um, I think if I had been at Ohio State, I would have been a lot more eager to come home. Um, or just come home and sort of being far is like, I don't have an option. And that's when my parents were like, well, you don't really have a choice. Like you can either be sad and sit there or like be happy and sit there. So just had to sort of be like, it's going to be fine. Nothing's bad. It's going to happen. There's definitely something good about being far enough away for sure, because you don't have an option. You can't drive home. You can't, you know, go seek out that, um, the normalness that you were used to. For sure. So you have to find it where you're at. All right, so here we are. It has been a week since we recorded the first attempt at this. We sat for an hour together talking, and we looked at the screen, and it had actually froze at like 20 minutes. So thank you for your uh, resiliency and your willingness to come back today. Of course. Uh, I also have to shout out Matt, uh, Matthew in our technology department. If he is listening out there, a uh, huge, huge thank you because he's been troubleshooting this uh, system on the backside to try to figure it out. But that's what happens when you do anything that's that's worthwhile and new. Uh, there are roadblocks. you got to figure them out. Yeah. So here we are. All right. So when we left off last time, we were talking about this question where I just acknowledge and, and I got all of this from your mom, um, largely that, you know, through the course of your, your K-12 journey, you did a lot of different activities in athletics. So you played on the volleyball team, you played soccer, cross country, track and field. Uh, and then ultimately, when you found your way to high school, you started playing tennis and you ended up being the captain of the uh, varsity tennis team your senior year. And I've heard, you know, time and time again, people say, you know, you learn so much through sports and by playing sports uh, and team sports and with other people. And that then translates into things that teach you about real life. And so as a first semester completed college uh, attendee. I'm wondering if you've found that to be true in in your life. Yeah, definitely. So tennis was very much an individual sport, but at the end of the day, it's still a team sport. And so I really learned how to be a team player. And if I had a bad day or I didn't perform how I wanted to, to still show up and be like happy for my other teammates, because even if I lost my court, like we could still win the match as a whole. 
Um, and that's definitely been a big lesson because to always go into things with a good attitude and to just bring it, you don't want to bring down other people with your attitude. And so when you're on a team, it's really important that you're, you're there for everybody, not just for yourself. Um, another big thing I learned was about like putting in the effort that I have to put in effort just so my other team would, teammates would put in effort. And especially as a captain, I was the leader and people used me as a role model. And so I had to show up and put in good work the whole practice, show up to meets or matches, ready to go. And that has definitely been something I have translated into my college life. Um, in an engineering course I took, I had to be on a team. And over the semester, we worked on a robot. And some people didn't show up as much as we would hope. And so I had to put in sometimes either more effort, less effort, because it was a teamwork, team project. And at the end of the day, some people didn't get as good of a grade as other people because of you got graded on how much like effort and how much you were putting into it. And so those have probably been the biggest lessons I learned from tennis, as well as time management. Um, I'm going to interject <laughs> there. Just those two seem, I, I just want to elevate those ideas. Um, the first one in, in celebrating other people's wins, yeah. you know, I, I, as an, as an adult, um, it's taken me a long time maybe to get to that, that space and place. And so I'm glad that you can, you can recognize that already, that there's a lot of joy that comes from watching other people win. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that you're winning, you know, in that, in that team component, it can be that you're, you're happy and celebrating because the people around you are winning. Yeah. Um, that's a pretty profound thing. And then this idea that the, that your energy and the way that you show up actually impacts other people. Yeah, and so definitely. your your team was going to perform in a different way because of how you showed up, whether that was in a positive or a negative way and the, the influence that that can have. Yeah. That's pretty it's very profound. Important. Sorry, keep going. Um, so with time management, I was balancing high school and a sport and a job and just being a high schooler, hanging out with my friends and my family. And at first it was pretty hard to balance all that, but I came to learn to set time aside specifically for my homework, but then also just for myself, because you have to balance all that to be just happy and enjoy your life and not get too stressed with all of that. So that's also been very helpful in college because between classes and just wanting to hang out with my friends and working out, it's a lot just fit into one day, but to know how to balance it out and be able to still get everything done um, is super important. Do you feel like in the moment when you were juggling all of those things, you know, you learned time management in it, but was it stressful then? Like, did it feel yeah. like it was overwhelming? There's definitely days where I wish I didn't have tennis or I didn't have work or my math teacher gave me too much homework, but um, it's definitely taught me a lot. And so at the end, I'm grateful for it. And I wish I lived sometimes more in the present with tennis because it was really fun, and I missed my four years of playing there at tennis here. Yeah, that's some, that's some pretty good advice. Things get so chaotic and busy, we often stop to look around and sort of enjoy the moment as it's happening, and then it goes pretty quick. Today's my my oldest son's 12th birthday, and so I find myself going, like, how in the heck did we get 12 years uh, around the sun with this guy? Yeah. Like, how, how did that happen so quickly? Yeah, and all of tennis, I looked up to the captains and seniors and as a little freshman I was like oh that's never going to be me and then mm -hmm. finally my senior year when I was a captain it just felt it was like wow I finally made it to where I wanted to be and like little little Abby would have been so proud and then it doesn't last that long yeah no. it's fast go very fast sure. cool so you you had mentioned something earlier about um the, the collaborative component of like teamwork and then also um in the engineering program that you're in and working with other people and how they actually were assessed and given a different grade and so I'm, I'm wondering like what your thoughts are on that uh, i actually we were just talking about portrait of graduate traits in my uh my media from the middle class it's a new semester we're starting and so one of the things that we were talking about was the need to be collaborative and we were looking at them and i asked a lot of the students i said what's your strength and when you look at the portrait of a graduate and what's your probably greatest weakness and the majority of the students said their weakest portrait of a gra graduate trait, or at least the one they would want to put the most energy into right now, would be the collaborative one. Um, and I, I, was I was just sort of shocked by that. And then I was wondering and trying to think, like, is that a system? Is that something that as a school district we're, we're kind of perpetuating because we have siloed a lot of work? Like, there isn't genuine there isn't a ton of genuine collaborative group projects where you all get the same grade, you know, that you're truly invested in a way that, as you just described in a team sport, the way you show up influences how the team works. And I've, I've gotten a lot of pushback as a teacher sometimes when I do those collaborative things and everybody literally gets levied the same grade, as in I want people to feel 
the pressure of when I don't show up, it's going to have an impact on someone else because I feel like that's actual real world. Like that's how a yeah. real world project happens. And so I'm, I'm wondering your thoughts on that. I'm sure you've sat in projects where people weren't doing their work and maybe that influenced your grade. And uh, do you think that's fair? And, and, and what's your take on that? Yeah, I definitely remember like in high school and middle school being frustrated when that would happen because I think naturally I'm a bit of a leader and I would sort of take a hold of whatever project and work on it and make sure it got done. And if that meant that I was doing more work than other people, it, that's what happened. And so in college, it was nice that if I wasn't doing my work, I didn't get a good grade. But the other kids who sat and were on their computers doing whatever, they also, I knew they weren't going to get as good of a grade as the kids who sat and they actually focused and were able to get our project done. Um, I think it's a good learning lesson. And it's, you learn when, if you're not putting in the effort that you need to. And it's definitely real life situations because when you're older you're not going to be able to just sit and get the same it's not a fair living uh level what is that called playing field mm. um even that when you're out of college and in a career it's not about a grade but a job and just your future it can depend on if people know that if you're going to show up or not yeah and and you know, the thing that happens, and I think in the real world that maybe is different, middle school, high school, and even in college, is if you show, if you keep showing up in a way that's not productive to the team, eventually you, you are no longer a part of yeah, the team. Exactly. They, they remove you or they, they ask you to, to find other place of employment where that doesn't always, that can't happen in public education and that can't necessarily always happen in, in a college course. And so um, I think that's the, the, the thing that levels that playing field out in the real world that is really hard to recreate in, in an educational setting. Yeah, I think it's definitely a big realization when you move on to a college setting where you do need to show up and you have the, you can skip a class, but you're hurting your team when you do that. And so it's just important to learn from a younger age that you're, you affect your, your whole team. Yeah, I love that sports, I think they do showcase and provide that in a really profound way, and and I'd like to find hopefully more authentic ways that we can do that inside yeah, of the school day. So switching gears here, um, I know that you were in the the journalism uh, program at GHS, and and your mom said that that was kind of a path and maybe a track. It was a, it was an interest that you had, and and thought that that might be something that you would consider for a career. And then in one of your trips that we talked about earlier, that where you went to Israel, you came back and, and your mom said it was like almost like out of nowhere, out of the fact it was probably a little more organic than that or something you've been thinking, but maybe not. Um, and that you you now were really interested in engineering and ultimately ended up deciding to major in chemical engineering um, at Maryland. And so I'm wondering what that thought process looked like. Like, how did you end up picking your major um, in college and, and what were some of those transitions you went through uh, as you meandered through and, and ultimately landed there? Yeah, it's definitely difficult. Um, I was really set on sports broadcasting and a journalism path. And that was my passion. I love watching sports and I still do. Um, but at the end of the day, I realized that's maybe not what I wanted to do. And I think I realized that a little bit through taking the journalism class in the high school, that as much as I enjoyed it, I didn't really see a future with that. But I really suggest the journalism class because it's a neat way to be able to get school news and it's very different than any other class you would take. And even at college now, I'm involved with the journalism class, and it works a different side of my brain, which I really enjoy doing. I love that. So it's a passion. It just wasn't the passion. Yes, like exactly. It was, it was an interest area, but it, it wasn't the place that you saw you sort of spending the rest of your life with. Yeah. Or, yeah. So after my semester in Israel, I had a math teacher who really showed just the beauty of math and it's not just an equation it's like a process and I really enjoyed that and I thought he looked at math in a very different way that I'd ever been taught it and so I decided maybe I would want to do something in the STEM major um, not journalism and after looking at there's a lot of different engineering I didn't even know there were so many different engineerings I decided on chemical engineering because I thought it sounded the most interesting and more of a science in math than just math or like physics. I like the combination of them. How, and did, how did you figure out or, or how did you know that this was a this was something that was a passion potentially for you versus I really like this teacher? Because as I went through my, you know, there were times where I, I literally changed in my brain like what I thought I wanted to become or be because I had this teacher that was just so profound and passionate. Um, 
but but then as I continued going, I was like, oh no, but actually I think it was just that teacher that I really liked, and it wasn't necessarily the air, the content area or the thing that I wanted to spend time in. And so, what was it that clicked for you? Because you had the, I think you had the journalism, the program, and the teacher, and that was really awesome. And then this teacher, like, how did how did you finally go like, yep, that that is the thing. Being completely honest, I really still don't know if it yeah. is, but um, I really enjoy like I'm not I haven't even taken an actual chemical engineering course yet. I take that next semester, but I think about it when people are like, oh, your schedule sounds awful, or you sit in math and science classes all day. In my mind, I think maybe sitting in a history class or English classes throughout the whole day would be, that's not, not how I want to, like, that's not what I want to spend my time doing. And so that's where I really think that a chemical engineering is good for me and what I like. I think science and math are both really interesting. So I'm really not sure if it is my passion, but so far, I think I really like it, and it's definitely very interesting. Um, and so I'm just excited to see more. And in yeah. my general chemistry class this semester, it was for engineers, and she basically would give us a like a car and be like, this is how a car works, and here's all the chemistry behind it. And it was mm -hmm. just really interesting to see that like chemistry is a part of everything. And then the chemical engineering aspect is sort of taking, making products out of chemistry and coming up with solutions, which I think is, it's super helpful and it's needed all around the world. Um, and so I feel like I can do a lot with that. Yeah, I, lo I love the idea and just the, the like saying it out loud and admitting that like, I'm not totally sure. And I can say out loud, like, I'm not totally sure what I wanna do when I grow up either. And that's okay, like that there are gonna be lots of pivots in people's lives. Um, our, our, we, we call them EFL entries every day and it's, um, it's advice for living that I wish I'd known earlier. And the thing today was make sure that you're, it says you're never too young or too often to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Uh, and it said then when you ask that question, you, you should be able to come up with a pretty good answer pretty quickly. And if not, then you might want to think about like, why are you doing the thing? Uh, and I just thought that was a good filter of like, yeah, you should, everyone should ask themselves that more often. Like, why am I doing this? And you, you just explained why you were doing it. Like yeah. the, the, those are those things that are keeping your interests and your passions. And, um, I, and then the admittance of like, but maybe it won't be. And that's okay too. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of pressure to graduate high school and say, I'm doing business and know exactly what you want to do. And I have lots of family who are asking, what do you want to do after college? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> That's what I'm going to learn throughout college. I came into school not knowing anything about chemical engineering, and that's what I'm there for is to learn about it and to, like, excel in it and be able to get a job in that world afterwards. Yeah, and as you as you learn about it, the willingness to go, you know what, I don't know that this is the thing. Because I think, to your point, a lot of people put a lot of pressure on, you know, what are you going to do? you got to start thinking about those things, and you got to get out in four years. And it, and it is really expensive, so you don't want to spend yeah. more time there necessarily than you have to. But at the same time, you're picking a path and a journey that will set you off in a, in a particular direction for a really long time, potentially. And so making sure that you do love it. And if yeah, it's exactly. not it's okay to pivot. Maybe I will have to take another semester or something, but if this thing isn't the thing, uh, moving on to something else. It's not the end of the world. It is not the end of the world. That's right. Cool. Thanks. Okay. So the next question, um, I, I, and I love this in my, the last guest that I had on, uh, Sadie Carrington, we talked about this a little bit too, um, that you had a job and, and you, I think you did some babysitting early on and then you ultimately landed, uh, working at Palumbo's and you worked there throughout your high school. And then you also, I think are working there now when you come back, um, from college. And so I'm just curious, I, I don't think a lot of high schoolers any longer have, um, have jobs necessarily in high school. And so I'm curious what your motivations were and then uh, maybe some of the things that you would say were beneficial uh, in taking on a job during high school. Yeah, I didn't even know I was on the job search when I got the job. My mom texted me one day at lunch and was like, Palumbo's is hiring. I'm going to pick you up and we're going to go talk to the boss, Cindy. So she picked me up. I went down there and Cindy got my number and was like, can you work Saturday? And so all of a sudden I had a job. So so were you, you, you sound like you were open to yeah, it at I least was, because you weren't like fighting. Yeah, no, exactly. I don't want a job. I was excited because I've, like having my own money and being able to spend it that's definitely was my biggest motivator and still really is for wanting more shifts and sometimes sacrificing some things I would rather do than work but being able to spend my own money save my own money it's I think it's really cool um, and sometimes compared to some of my college friends who they don't they didn't work and so they don't have like some of the, their own money to spend it's really nice to not maybe rely completely on my parents even though I rely on them a lot but 
having my own money and paying for gas was a big thing. Um, definitely my biggest motivator. I also think I, I get bored if I don't have something to do. And I only played tennis my junior and senior year. And so tennis only lasts a couple months. The other half of the year, I didn't have other things to do. And so to be able to go and work for a couple hours each evening was really nice. It kept me occupied, made friends. And it also taught me a lot about responsibility and being reliable and just being a hard worker in general, um, because I have to show up to work every to my every shift and they hired me for a reason. And so I have to keep showing them that like I deserve to be there. Do you think that your 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 willingness to work and the fact that it was your own money that you were making influence the way that you spend money? Definitely. I almost think of things as like how many hours of work is this? Mm. Um, and it's definitely made me think, OK, is this something I need right now or is this just something I want? And I've when I first went to school, my mom was like, Abby, you need to you can you're allowed to spend your money like you worked for a reason. And I did have to sort of think like, yes, it's OK. I can spend my money, but also I've definitely learned how to save. And I broke my computer in the middle of the semester and it was OK because I had saved money to be able to fix it. Um, and just the importance of saving and also like donating. My parents have really made um, they're very uh, mindful about donating to charities and so every year making sure I do that it's all all part of just being having my money to be able to put where I want yeah I, I've, I've pushed my kids pretty early on to always have a job like I just wanted them to know what it felt like to to equate like hey I'm gonna buy this thing and if I buy it it meant that it was like mowing two lawns right like that was that was 40 minutes or an hour of my life and is that trade-off real like there is a correlation and I don't know that if you haven't ever had to like work for money, you can spend money in these in the same kind of yeah. way and value what's coming on the other side of it. Um, even some of their, you know, some of the lessons that they do, I ask them to pay for a portion of it. We pay for the majority of it, but I want them to equate like going and getting to do this lesson is such an opportunity and it costs something like it's, it's not a free thing out there in the world. Um, and so, yeah, I, th I think that's incredibly uh, powerful. I'm, I'm so glad that you were you were willing and that your your mom understood on the backside of how important that was. Definitely. And I've really learned to, especially working in like a customer service position, how, again, with the whole attitude thing that I have to show up to work with a good attitude, even if it's been a bad day, because the customers coming in are just they have their own day and they're expecting to come in and be greeted nicely and helped and my negative attitude doesn't need to rub off on them um and my other employees like we're a team and it's it just works easier if everyone wants to be part of the team yeah i mean it, what you just said there it's circling back to the the sports uh connection of of what it's like to be on a team and the way that you show up influences the experience that other people are having and you know truly the way you show up is going to influence the way that the customer feels about the experience which then impacts the way they feel about the restaurant and that's exactly. somebody's like that's somebody's baby like somebody you know started that palumbos and they're they, you know they put a lot of sweat and, and equity and tears and um you know understanding that i i have to be my best self here even if i'm not necessarily yeah. feeling it I've de it's definitely i highly suggest getting a job to anyone in high school who has the time but i also would keep in mind that when you sign up for a job you are signing up to work and to put in the hours because there have been many people who come to Palumbo's and said I can work and then they just realize pretty quickly that they don't have the time and that's totally fine so just knowing that I I want to work and I can work is really important and I would definitely suggest it yeah cool good advice all right, so the next set of questions we ask every guest, and they are geared more towards uh, middle school, high school listeners. And so we're going to get right into those. The first one is, if you could go back and tell your middle or high school self anything that would have made navigating middle school and high school a little bit easier, what would you tell that version of yourself? Mine would be that grades don't define you. I really put an emphasis on getting like A pluses, and as much as that made me feel good, it really sucked when I like didn't get that grade um, and sometimes I put a little too much pressure on myself to I uh, just studying like maybe I know that this sounds a little um, ironic studying too much but at one point I just had to put a homework down or put some studying down and be like I know what I know and it's going to be okay um, and that just because I didn't get an A plus doesn't mean I'm not worthy of effort I put in and do you do you think you were good at that or or were you bad at that in middle and high school and you you wish you could go back and tell yourself that it's definitely bad at that yeah. um and I yeah I wish I could just 
remind myself that it's okay to not get the best grade because it in the end it really doesn't matter as much and while everyone should I think the main thing is about effort and you should show up and put in as best effort as you can and if that's not an A plus that's okay yeah and I there there is a definite differentiation there between I showed up and I put in a lot of effort and I didn't get the A versus I didn't put in a lot of effort and I didn't get the A right like one is one is okay like you as long as you tried your best and really hard and um I guess I guess grades in general are these like artificial markers we like we've we've created inside of the school system that I don't always know that they evaluate students or give the feedback in the the way that we should because and I and I wonder if how I'll ask you this in a second as a follow up of how how's it going at college like are you doing well um, and are you would you tell your college self the same thing are you still struggling with wanting the A um, because if in my mind if you're truly in the right place like if you're truly in the right classroom at the right level it should be hard yeah and and it should there's going to be failure associated with that so this idea that you should be perfect or get an A in absolutely everything that you're doing doesn't seem realistic. Yeah, definitely. I've not gotten all A's in college, um, but I've realized that it's that it's okay. And that's what I tell myself from the beginning. Like it's, I'm in a whole new environment. This is a different style of teaching. It's just all different to me. But after my, like some of my chemistry exams, I made the first one, I came out of it not feeling good. I didn't, I knew I didn't prepare enough for it and I didn't get a good grade. And the second one, I prepared a lot more for it and I came out of it feeling pretty good and I got a better grade. I wouldn't say I got a great grade, but I didn't feel so bad about myself because I was like, I knew I put in the effort and I put what I could into it. And if that's the grade I got, then that's the grade I got. Yeah. I mean, I think there's so many people that would allow the idea that they might not get the grade they want, prevent them from trying or doing something, which, you know, what a travesty that, you know, you might not go do the thing because you're afraid that you, you couldn't, you know, excel or get this perfect grade. Um, so I, I think that's a really, really healthy perspective to keep in mind uh, when students are thinking about their grade and and absolutely not tying it in any way to your self-worth, right? Like yeah. that, that there is no correlation and there is no correlation between straight A's and success out in the world. Exactly. Like there's absolutely no data to support that. And if anything else, there's maybe even the alternative that students who struggle and get B's and maybe, you know, have some failure in their life, um, there's a greater correlation that they will find success yeah, in their, in definitely. their real life. My, I think my biggest advice I was told by teachers was if to spend like 30 minutes on a homework sheet. And if, if you're really struggling and you can't get a question to just put it down and move on. And I think that's just super important to keep in mind because sometimes just staring at a question and if you don't know where to go or what to do, just keeping the stress and you're starting to get anxious and worked up about it. There's no point in staying and trying to do it. I think every teacher would understand as long as you tried. Yeah, you can move and, on. And, and there's an opportunity they're going to get to show you how to do it, which exactly, is what they're yeah. what they're there for, for sure. All right. So um, what is something that if you look back in middle and high school years, you didn't totally appreciate. But looking back now, you might go, you know what, that was actually pretty great. So I said my teachers for this one um, because I felt some were – I, at the time, gave me way too much homework, and they just wanted to make my cl- the class super hard, and it seemed like they were out to get me and my classmates, but I realized that they're just trying to help us and prepare us for our futures, and they have the students' best interests in mind, um, and they don't want to give busy work because they have to grade it at the end of the day, um, and so uh, everything was done for a reason, um, and they're just trying to prepare us for our futures because high school gets hard, high school's a lot harder than middle school, and high school and then college it's all just building upon each other and so they're really trying to do their best to help you in their future yeah i i love that so we, it was I, I said this earlier but it was the semester change today and so we you know we start off and do the reset and it's like first day with these students and so i go through like here's my family and here's my dog and my interests and hobbies and i, I was really intentional today of saying like you know, is it, do you guys know why I'm sharing this? And, and there wasn't a lot, like ton of great answers, but I was like, I just want you to know I'm like a human being. Like I literally have a family and I have two boys that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to grow into the best version of their adults as possible. And I'm like, when I look out at you guys, like I'm doing the exact same thing. And so everything is with intention. Like we, we there, but you're, you said it and it's so true. There are times when I think students think that we're like enemies with each other, that we're like pitted against each other. And, you know, I'm glad you said that 
so that I can say like, man, we're, I'm just here to help. And, and, and that's the same with every teacher that we literally just want you to be the best version of yourself and anything that we ask you to do or assign, there's been so much thought on the backside of like, how will this serve you and how will it help you grow? Um, and then, you know, there, there is, you, you have to grade it afterwards. So obviously we're not going to give you anything that we didn't think had to be done, uh, because there's, there's work associated yeah. on the backside. So yeah, it's a good definitely point. took for granted having just a nice small class going to a big mm. university. I'm in a class of 200 people. And so I can't get the one-on-one attention from a professor as I used to get and being able to become friendly with teachers and then really use their knowledge to help me succeed is definitely something that I think is super valuable. Is there is there access to like uh, you know an adjunct or a professor like you know it, and so you're at a, a big school you know equate this to like an Ohio State where you're gonna have a, a lecture that could have 200 kids in there. Is there a way to act like is it hard to actually get professor hours or is that still something you can access? It's not hard. You can definitely email them or visit their office hours, but like some office hours I just never could make because it was in the middle of a class Mm. that I would have. Um, And professors are usually really good about responding to their emails, but they're a lot more sticky, like a stickler on if we talked about it in class or it's sort of like a stupid question, we're not going to respond to you because like if you didn't come to class, mm-hmm. then you're asking about whatever. And they that's don't do attendance, right? And no. so there, there may be on the backside of that a feeling that you couldn't have come to class yeah. if you're asking. And some kids probably didn't go to class, and exactly. that's why they're asking that question. But I, I did find going to office hours, that's definitely a big tip for college is to attend office hours when you can because the professors are there to help you and being able to get just a little extra help and ask your specific questions are always really helpful. And I, and I would I would stress that with an exclamation point and even say like find a reason to go into office hours. Like even if you don't have a question, make up a question so that you can make a personal connection and they can put a face with a name. And I, I, it just went so far for me when I was in school uh, in college to actually go in and make that personal connection. Cause then if I did need something, um, you know, they were so willing to help yeah. because they were like, Oh, you put in that extra effort and actually care. Yeah. Like you showed up. I definitely, I don't, I wish I would have taken more advantage of that my first semester. I, some classes I maybe felt like I didn't need it when in the end I probably could have used it and it would just been a little bit more helpful. Um, but I've, I feel like just before starting college, I heard repeatedly office hours, office hours, mm-hmm. office hours. And so that's one of my goals as the second semester is to really take advantage of those teachers office hours. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I, I'm, I talked to my middle schoolers about this and I don't know if they totally appreciate it, but it, it's all also just part of your network. And so you have no way of knowing how that professor that you may have in some freshman course is going to come back full circle and help you get an internship as a senior mm-hmm. or may know somebody that's going to connect you somewhere else or that you'll run into out in the professional world some way. Um, and so anytime you can have that one-on-one connection relationship, adding somebody to your network, putting your name out there, I, I think is, is instrumental. It's so important. Yeah. And in middle school and high school, once, when you apply for colleges, you need letters of recommendations or for a lot of things, you do need recommendations. And so being close with the specific teachers who are able to do that for you and you've made those connections and they know you is always really helpful. It's a real awkward conversation when you don't have that person to go to and you ask that teacher and they want to help you, but they maybe don't even have that relationship. It's, it would be hard for them to write that letter. So yeah, definitely good advice. All right. So unfortunately, next questions, not unfortunately, next question, unfortunately, stress uh, is something that starts to increase in middle school and uh, it just seems to be just even more like every year it seems to be more and more prevalent Uh, it's definitely a a, you know all over high school and it's I'm sure you can attest that there's a lot of stress uh, in college and as an adult I feel lots of stress and I've had to find ways to uh, deal with that and so I'm wondering what you what you found throughout the years what what kinds of things did you do in middle school and high school and and what do you do when you're feeling like stressed to a point that maybe it's it's uh, it's unhealthy for me, it would be being active and working out. I love going to the gym after school or running, um, going to cycle, Pilates classes, just taking walks outside with friends. For me, it's a perfect way to get my mind off of whatever's stressing me out. And I always find, too, that if, I, if I'm if i really struggling over a specific thing, I can leave the situation, I can move my body, and then I can come back to it feeling a little more calm and ready to like address the situation. I think that's really important is to be able to leave and then come back to it. 
Um, it's just how do you know when how do you know when the stress has reached a level that it's time to walk away from something like what 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 what, what's your tell like how do you know that if I just like I can't keep going with something it's like I I've tried so hard on this and I'm making zero progress and I'm just getting more frustrated with myself Um, that's when it's there's no point in sitting and trying to continue with it Um, so I think just doing anything that makes you happy and gets your mind off of whatever stressing you out is always important so for me it's working out but I think for other people it could be reading or watching a movie just different anything that really makes you happy I think is super important yeah and just you know make sure you have something like be deliberate about thinking and putting time into like I do this thing particularly to help me deal with stress and it's my go-to so that you have that to fall down on when when you get stressed yeah definitely every day at college I try to at least have an hour to be able to go to the gym um because when you're at school all day, you really need to move your body. And it's better at college when I can walk around to classes. But in high school and middle school here, you're sitting down for mm. almost all day. And so having a sport right after school to go to or taking a walk with your dog, just anything to reset and then face the problems again. Yeah, and I, what I hear you saying, and, and I, I think there is a difference. There's There's the things you do on a daily basis to deal with stress. Like it's just a part of my routine because I know that it helps me hit my reset button. Yeah, not let it build up to the point where you can't manage it. Yeah, and then there is the what do I do when it's build up? Even though I did my best to try to prevent it, what is what are my coping strategies when it's it's reached a level? And and I think that's what you said is you walk away from some things. Like sometimes you have to take a time out and recognize that the stress is is to a point that it's not healthy and you can't move forward. Cool. So this is a new question that I just started asking in the last two sessions, but uh, I think it's so, so relevant. Um, And, you know, I see more and more technology in in students' hands, even younger and younger. Uh, So the question is, how would you describe your relationship with technology? Uh, And that can be, you know, cell phones, that can be social media, that can be, you know, anything in between. And then what kind of advice, having gone through middle and and high school, uh, would you offer um, them about how they should interact, I guess, with technology? Yeah, I definitely use technology almost all day, every day, it feels like, to my phone, computer for school, even just my Apple Watch for working out. I feel like it's always there. And I'm very grateful for it because through all my, like, trips, I've made all these long-distance friendships, and being able to communicate with them is just the best thing, but it can be difficult to manage technology. Um, Shout out to my parents here because when I was younger, they made me have screen time and me and my sister always would plug in our phones in our kitchen downstairs. How'd you feel about that at the time? I hated it. It made me so mad because it didn't seem like other parents did that for their kids. I Um, I love that you said it didn't seem like, but I promise it really is happening (laughs) everywhere, right? But everybody's like, I didn't have to do that or one person didn't have to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good strategy for sure. I think that would probably be my biggest advice is to put your phone somewhere else when you're going to bed because it's it's terrible to scroll on your phone and then go right to bed and then wake up in the morning and you're on your phone. So being able to just separate, have separation from it and not need to be around it all the time is really good. And having the screen time was always terrible as a kid, but it was good for me. And it really made me think about like how much time am I really spending on my these apps and do I really need to be doing that much? Um, was there did did your parents put limitations on like what kind of platforms you were allowed on and at what ages? Like, were you on social yeah. media, YouTube? Like, how did all that work? Their big thing was like with social media. I think I got an hour a day, and I could split that up between my social media accounts. So if I wanted more time on Snapchat, then like they set it to forty five minutes on Snapchat and fifteen minutes on Instagram. Like I got to split where I wanted my time. Because I don't need to be texting whoever all day. Like, it, it was okay. Um, and it's definitely hard now because I, I want to keep up with my friends. But at the same time, like, I don't really want to just scroll on social media. And I've, I've definitely tried to get better at not just sitting and scrolling when I'm bored and finding something maybe a little more productive to do when I'm bored and would rather sit and scroll. So was that a, um, was that a, a, a technological, like they put an hour in using like the tracking software where it would actually shut down yeah, your phone? Yeah, it would shut down, it'd be a password. And and so do you have anything that like deliberately tracks that now with your social media use? No, I don't. I have just like the screen time on my phone. And so I think it's Sunday, you get a thing that says how much per day and say some weeks it hurts a little more than others, but I've, I've really tried in college to be a little more deliberate with time on my phone. And if I'm around people, I don't need to be on my phone. 
And I'd say my biggest thing is like when I before I go to bed is putting my phone down, picking up a book, mm. uh, even watching a movie. Sometimes it's it's still technology, but even just shutting off social media and it's watching a, a show, it's different type a little, of technology. Yeah, it's it's still technology, but um, I think there's such a grip on social media that my generation has that there there shouldn't be. Yeah, um, I I. I I just recently went, so I, I I get the same notification on Sundays, but I just recently went in and turned on the daily notifications to where I, I set it, I think for, you know, whatever it was an hour and it, you know, obviously I can click it away and keep going, yeah. but I, I did want the daily cue to myself of like, Hey, you've been on this for this amount of time. Uh, and I like the fact that you said pushing something, you know, into that space where you might, you know, spend before you know it, two hours went by and you were just scrolling on social media. So being deliberate and doing something else with your time in that moment. And, and to your point, I'm doing the exact same thing of trying to put my phone down and then picking up a book because, you know, I'll read that book um, for that two hours rather than literally the way it's been designed as a dopamine. They know that you, you know, it's like this cliffhanger and you will keep scrolling through like there, there's a lot of research and a lot of intentionality behind keeping people engaged in social media to where it's almost, you know, it's hard for us not to. Um, and so just being really deliberate and I'm, yeah. I'm going to read this book instead. Yeah. And I know with school, it's almost impossible to take out technology because mm. you're on a computer almost all day and such a, we're, we live in a very digital age. But just to be as deliberate as possible, and once you finish your homework, just putting it down for a little bit um, and just doing it for your school. Just, it's all, I think, just about the scrolling because once you start scrolling, it's like an endless void. Um, but it's okay to do that sometimes. I think there's, there's always balance. That's a huge thing. And that's why my parents would let me have the hour of social media is because they know I'm going to use it and I want to use it. And so if people just have a little bit of time I think it's huge with even just self-confidence. Like a lot of things boil down to social media. Yeah, and giving you as parents realizing they had to give you the opportunity to interact with it, to find a healthy way to yeah. interact with it. You can't just say, I'm not going to let you have access to it. Um, and it's such a social component of our lives. Like there, there really is, a, you know, there is a void and a vacuum that if your friends are all on there talking and yeah. communicating, we're going to go meet here. It, it, it becomes this social experience that you're not now a part of. Yeah. And so giving you, you know, some access to that is, yeah. is a good I'd idea. I'd say my biggest, one of my proudest things is I never downloaded TikTok. When, mm. Like through the years it's been around, I never downloaded it. And with all friends having it being like, what's your TikTok? Like I don't have TikTok or be real when those came out I never downloaded them and I didn't really f I felt a little bit of pressure but at the end of the day I was like I don't feel like I need those apps yeah there there are different apps I think and, and it, again back to being deliberate and intentional that you know that are more about a social interaction with friends like if you have a snap conversation with a mm -hmm. group of friends versus like scrolling on TikTok for hours of people that you have no idea yeah. like who they are um, all of that that does feel very different. And so, yeah. so kudos to, that you didn't. Um, the last question I have here is just in general, is there anything that you would go back and, and tell your middle school and high school self to start now? Like if, if you could go back and be like, wow, I wish I would have put some more intention to this or that um, to be more prepared for where you're sitting right now as a, as a second semester fr uh, freshman in college, what would that be? My thing would be independence, and I, I know I had a lot of opportunities to be independent from my family that a lot of people won't have until college, but it has made the transition a lot easier. It was still hard, um, but a lot less stressful, and I just think in everything, being able to be independent is huge and go out and do things on your own. Um, I think I sometimes really relied on friends or my parents to go do something but now I realize like I can do whatever I want alone and that's okay I've I've really learned that in college with being close to DC that some of my friends want to sleep in until really late and that's good for them but I'm going to wake up early and I'm going to go into DC and I'm going to have a good day and that I can't wait on other people to do that because like if I want to do it it's going to make me happy to just do what I want when I want and you can be your best friend learning how to be able to be with yourself on your own is a really important thing. Yeah, it's just that extension of like, you can't take care of other people until you can take care of yourself and you really can't, like if you're not comfortable with who you are, how could you expect others? So, you know, the willingness to spend time with just yourself and, and get to know who that is, 
Uh, that's a, that's a really important thing. How you, you mentioned this briefly about like getting up early. What's your, what's your alarm clock look like? Like, do you, are you somebody who typically gets up early and, and starts the morning early or do you sleep in? And- yeah, I'm definitely an early person. This is almost on the extreme side in high school. I'd wake up at four thirty to go work out before school at a gym. So um, your whole life you've been an early riser. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely been an early riser and I'm, I'm a little grandma. I like to go to bed at like nine thirty, ten o'clock get my eight hours of sleep. But was the rest of your family like that? Was that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. My Maybe not so much my sister, but my parents are go to bed early. They're up on the weekends at 6 a.m. And I've really appreciated that because now in college, obviously we're college kids and you can sleep in until two o'clock in the afternoon. But I wake up, I'd say usually like 8.45, maybe even earlier, depends when my classes are, which really isn't that early. But it makes your day feel so much longer. And I feel like if I do sleep in, I feel like my day's gone before I've even started it. And it doesn't make me feel as good. And so being able to get up early, still get my eight hours of sleep, um, I just think it's huge. And I think it's a really good habit to get into. Yeah, there's this great book called The Miracle Morning that I read. Um, and I, I would say I, I used to sleep in a lot more. My wife is a, a early riser, and so now I am an early riser, and my the rest of our family is as well. Uh, there isn't, you know, the, the adage of there isn't a whole lot of great things that happen late at night or after 10 o'clock or whatever, um, where in the morning it's so productive. And when you get up early and get all these things done and other people are just waking up, it really is this, like, sense of empowerment. Yeah. Like, oh, my gosh, I, just, I got so much done, and these people are just starting their day. That's how I felt when I would wake up super early before school and just driving and no one else being out there. I was like, I feel really good that yeah. I got up. And the second the alarm clock, clock goes off like it'll it never feels good even though how many times you wake up early but just getting out of bed and starting your day having a good routine I think is huge like I have my skincare routine and I always put out my clothes on my dresser before like I try to make my morning sort of as easy as possible and I think that helps motivate me to get up and start going about my day yeah that's really good advice Well, I think that's the end of our podcast today. I am so grateful and appreciative of your willingness to come back a couple of times just so that we could get this recorded. It is an absolute um, example of resiliency. We we made it through it. and I I look forward to seeing uh, where chemical engineering takes you, and I hope you have a great second semester at Maryland. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.